The following podcast is taken from a live broadcast on Inspire FM. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh listeners. Uh, you're tuned into Inspire FM and you're listening to Ask Your Lawyer with Atik Malik. Um, uh, today I've got good news and I've got bad news. Um, the bad news is, as you can probably tell the regular listeners anyway, Atik's not here today and unfortunately you're left with me to host. I'm Gia Zudin, I'm a director at Wolf & Co. Solicitors in Luton. Uh, we're a specialist immigration, criminal defence and prison law uh, firm. The good news is that I've got a brilliant panel with me today and we'll be discussing that, something that's very topical and very relevant. Um, before I introduce my esteemed panel, uh, let me give you these statistics in relation to burglaries in Luton. Um, and these stats are taken from the UKCrimeStats.com website and you can Google these. I will be sending a link to the uh, station and they will po- po- post them on our website and you can have a good look at them. So in June 2018, there were 221 burglaries in and around Luton. In May 2018, we had 197. In April 2018, uh, we had 217. Now that translates to about eight a day just in Luton. So our subject matter today revolves around burglaries and specifically the rights of a homeowner when confronted at home by a burglar. We're going to be discussing, are you allowed to defend yourself? What happens if you hurt the intruder while doing so? And do you have the right to stand up for your family in your home? What I want you to do is I want you to call in on 01582481822. I want you to SMS on 0779-0779-481822. You can WhatsApp on 07779-481822. And you can email at info at inspirefm.org. Um, so... Uh, our panel today, they're ready and willing to go field your questions and they're eager to uh, see what you can ask Luton. So these two prominent barristers, they've taken time out from their extremely busy schedules to assist our community. What I do want you to do is take the opportunity to pick their brains. Uh, so without further ado, let's meet them. Um, guys, uh, I'm going to introduce you in the manner of a court <laughs> word. So um, I'll go with you first, Kiara. Are you Kiara Maddox? I am, yes. And just like in court, can you confirm your home address? (laughs) (laughs) Don't do that on live radio. Um, It's said that you're a barrister at Church Court Chambers. Yes. Called in 2001. Uh, You're a specialist. Oh, sorry, 2011. Having extra years. You're a specialist in crime, but you have a very strong following in immigration uh, and family. You've extensive experience in DNA, cell site analysis and facial mapping cases. Yeah. Uh, you speak French, bonjour. You also speak Spanish, hola, I think that's the right thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and your past caseload, I've, and I have actually looked at it, it's enviable, there's a lot of heavyweight cases there, but you've represented in cases like manslaughter and even in human trafficking trials, is that correct? Yes. Yeah. So although this makes no sense at all, do you accept or deny those facts? I'm, I'm going to have to accept it, I'm afraid, yeah, so you've done your research. <laughs> okay, um, and my next guest, Liam Lachlan, uh, you're also a barrister at Church Court Chambers. Guilty. <laughs> and you've done your LLM and MA at Cambridge University. That's right, yeah. Uh, called in 2008, and you're an expert in criminal and immigration law. Amongst the brilliant work that you've done, and I've checked it out as well, uh, you've worked as part of the defence team in The Hague, that's very fancy. Yes, Charles Taylor, <laughs> an innocent man. Brilliant. Okay, this is a quick message to our listeners. Um, both of the pro- profiles for both of the barristers are available to view at the Church Court website. And I'll be sending a link to the uh, station to make sure that you can access those websites and have a quick look at their 
uh, profiles. And remember, listeners, um, if you know anyone that needs any legal assistance or you, you may need some legal assistance yourself, you are uh, you can, of course, instruct your solicitors to instruct the chambers, church court chambers, and you can ask for Kiara or Liam to represent you in anything that you want. It's not just limited to this type of case. Either. Like I've said, they do a lot of heavyweight case. So if you need any assistance, you can ask for them directly. Um, so now having... And I, what I can say is I've instructed each of these barristers on my own cases and they are absolutely brilliant and I wholeheartedly recommend both of them. Right, now that we've met the panel, um, let's put some questions to them. Um, if we put ourselves in the scenario that there's a homeowner walks down this, or he or she walks down the stairs and they are confronted by a balaclava-clad uh, interpret, uh, intruder, um, we know that these things do happen, so to either of you and I'll open it up to either of you um, have you dealt with or do you know about any cases um, where this kind of thing could have happened um, well if, should I kick things off please yeah um, I mean people might be uh, most recently aware of the, the pensioner that got arrested in last year in the green Richard Osborne Brooks you might not recognise the name but it was the um, the burglar who got stabbed with um a screwdriver oh, yeah, um, there was... by the pensioner who then later got arrested on suspicion of murder. Um, I think he was kept for the 24 hours and released then without charge. But obviously it reignited the public debate right. as to how much force you're allowed to use when someone invades your home. Right. Um, you know, there's there's been numerous cases from this. And, of course, the law has changed quite recently again to try and give homeowners a bit more safety and comfort in how they can effectively defend themselves in their own home. Do you think that's a good thing? Is that a positive change? Yeah, I mean, so there is a a marked difference between the law of self-defence generally and effectively what you're then allowed to do if someone comes into your home. And from my point of view, um, having been burgled myself, there is a difference as to how, you know, you're supposed to feel at home. And I imagine that that's why the law's been changed, just basically to reflect... That you know, if you're woken up in the bed at night, for example, yeah. uh, and you have an intruder in your home, then there is um, definitely a lot more leeway as to how you're allowed to defend yourself, and the, the test and burden standard proof. I mean, Liam. Yeah, I think that's right. I think there's a there's a change, and has been a change in relation to public perception of how we defend ourselves. But um, it has to be borne in mind that what we read in the press is not necessarily reflected in the actual cases themselves. So you have to be acting reasonably. It has to be reasonably proportionate. Um, That test has changed, but really it's a common-sense question for for the jury. These are not essentially legal questions that we can give you definitive answers for. It is a legal test to be applied by a jury of what is reasonable and whether what is done is grossly disproportionate. So something that is out of all of the bounds of proportionality of how you might defend yourself. So I think it is a question not only of what is available in law, but but how a, a jury would view your actions, what you did, was it reasonable, would they have done the same thing? Okay, I mean, it's interesting that you make those points because ordinarily, of course, it must be a terrifying situation to find yourself in. Somebody's intruded into your house, taking it, coming to your own personal space. Generally speaking, are you allowed to defend yourself? Uh, I think the position is you are allowed to defend yourself, but the law will stop you when you go too far. So, I mean, we have two cases that we probably remember from our collective memory in relation to Tony Martin, who was the farmer who used his shotgun to defend his home, and then the Hussein brothers, who are from High Wycombe. 
And in both those cases, it was reported that this was a matter of whether self-defence had gone too far. But actually, when we look at the facts in those cases, it wasn't about self-defence at all. It was about whether a man was entitled, in the case of Tony Martin, to be in possession of a shotgun. Was he entitled to fire three shots? In the case of the Hussein brothers, were they entitled to pursue an individual down the street after the home had been broken into in an aggravated burglary and then beat that person upon the ground? Uh, with a baseball bat and a pole fracturing their skull and causing severe mental um, impairment and disability as a result. Okay. Um, Chiara, let's put a question to you. <clears throat> what does happen if you actually hurt an, in- hurt an intruder whilst um, defending your home? Well, as, as Liam's already pointed out, it really is a case-by-case basis. Um, I, I mean, the reality of it is, um, first off, you're very likely to be arrested, I'd imagine, depending on... And the factual circumstances of, of what's actually taken place, mm. um, where you'll be taken to a police station and then, oh, thank you, uh, and, and later then interviewed. Um, it, it really is going to come down to what your genuinely held belief at the time was. So, what level the threat was, um, whether your actions were proportionate and reasonable in the circumstances. Um, the difference in home invasions is that the CPS are not expecting you to make. Um, a fine judgment in the heat of the moment. So they're not expecting you necessarily to kind of um, manage to work out exactly what the threat level is. Um, But again, as as Liam quite rightly pointed out, if you've got someone who's running away from you, who's left your house and you're chasing after them and you then injure them, the threat has gone away from you. It's no longer present. And in those circumstances, it's very likely that you would be charged with an offence yourself. But equally, if someone has running up the stairs towards you and you've just left your bedroom, if you believe them to be armed then you would be acting reasonably if you were to then use force against them. It doesn't necessarily have to be that they were armed, as long as in that heat of the moment, in the heat of the moment, your mind um, believed that there was the risk that they were armed, for example. Okay, let's take you both as members of the public now. I'm going to ask you this generally. Do you think at the current moment the laws are appropriate? Do you think that there is fairness in the fact that we have to limit our defences or do you think that we should be able to do whatever we want if somebody invades our personal space, if there's a threat to our families? What do you think, Liam? I think that the law um, provides a great amount of discretion for a jury to decide what is reasonable and whether the behaviour was grossly disproportionate. I think that's the way it should be. Yeah. not sure it's f- for us as lawyers to tell members of society, you can and cannot do this. No. And I don't think, and this is a great thing about the legal system in this country, it, it's not for judges to say, was this reasonable? Was this grossly disproportionate? That is for a jury to decide. So, so it's a difficult question, but I think there is a, a lot of leeway given in the law to the homeowner to defend his home as long as it doesn't go far too far. And by far too far, I mean not just defending yourself, but seriously injuring somebody. So when you move beyond defence to retaliation and punishment mm-hmm. to an uh, extreme level, then uh, that is probably too far. But you have the discretion to defend yourself and others. Chiara, do you think there is enough leeway? Yeah, I mean, uh, the Justice Secretary at the time, Chris Grayling, um, said that he thought householders acted instinctively and honestly in self-defence were victims and not criminals. So there's definitely been a shift in the, go- in the fact that the government now accept or have come round to the acceptance that in the heat of the moment um, people might overreact and do something which at the time they thought was proportionate. 
but having you know in the cold light of day perhaps their actions might not have been so i i also think that that is reflected in current cps policy in terms of charging decisions that they make um and of course as liam's pointed out if it were to then go to trial um it, it is then what members of the public might find it reasonable and and you know th there is in my view um, quite a significant amount of lee leeway that's afforded to homeowners now um, and, and you know, and it's not just homeowners. It's called the homeowners' defence. But you know, it's anyone who's living in a property, right. being forced out of their bed at night in circumstances which, quite frankly, can be terrifying. Yeah, um, You know, and you don't really know the intention of someone coming into your house at, at that time. No, you wouldn't automatically. You're absolutely right. Um, we've spoken about. I think Liam briefly touched on about a couple of famous cases. Uh, one being uh, the farmer. Um, Tony Martin. Um, Liam, just for the uh, listeners out there so they can get some context, do you want to tell us a little bit about that case so um, we can get some context about what happened in that case and what the real outcome was? Well, the, the Tony Martin case goes back to 2003 and it was um, <clears throat> a 2001 case that caught the popular imagination that went up to the Court of Appeal and the newspapers were saying, well, this is a case of somebody defending their home um, and being the victim of repeated burglaries and then defending their home in the middle of the night. And why wasn't the law protecting this person? But actually, the facts of the case were not necessarily as they were reported um, in the press. The circumstances were that actually Tony Martin was convicted by a jury of murder. Mm. He was accused of firing on and killing a 16-year-old boy. And the medical evidence in that case, although the 16-year-old boy was, it was a criminal and hadn't been involved in crimes, mm -hmm. the medical evidence wasn't that these people um, had been fired upon while he was at the stairs. It appeared he may have repeatedly fired upon these people and they may have been fleeing. Right. But the Tony Martin case, when it actually got um, to the Court of Appeal, and there were multiple grounds and a change of the legal team, uh, what they were looking at was actually, was there a defence of diminished responsibility for murder because it subsequently transpired that Tony Martin was suffering fr from a paranoid uh, personality disorder. So it wasn't actually that he was a victimised um, farmer who was attacked in his own home. He was, in fact, somebody who had repeatedly stated that he was um, going to shoot people if they came to attack him, that the best thing to do with burglars was to take them out and, into a field and shoot them. And so his conviction for murder... Um, was reduced to manslaughter on the basis of diminished responsibility. So it wasn't as reported in the media that this was a victim and a victory for common sense. This was, in fact, a man who was quite unwell, who perceived the threat to be greater than it was due to a mental condition that he had and acted outside of the scope of what he could and should have done. So it's not really, despite the popular recollection of the event it's not really about householder defense uh, it's more about was he a murderer or, or or did he have diminished responsibility on his side why do you think liam it was reported as as it was why do you think it was reported in one particular way portray, telling the story of tony martin rather than the other the other way and talking about the 16 year old that was shot well i think it's a narrative in the press and it's something that concerns us it's, it's great news isn't it are we entitled to defend ourselves in our homes? What can we do? Will the law punish us for protecting what is an Englishman's castle? That's his home. That's where he's supposed to be safe. But actually, the, these cases are often distorted in the press. Yeah. And the criminal trial and details are perhaps not heard. And it's something we see in our own work. Um, 
But the the message really to be taken, if we look at the case of Tony Martin and we look at the Hussein brothers, is what we don't see in the press. And what we don't see in the press are people whose homes are invaded, they act in a reasonable and proportionate way, Mm -hmm. they don't seriously injure or kill somebody most of the time, but they defend themselves. Mm -hmm. And we don't see those cases in the press, and we don't see them quite often coming to the court. And that must be because the individual is entitled to act in a reasonable way. Kiara, um, I'm going to talk about the case of Munir Hussain. Um, He was jailed for 30 months in 2008. His house was invaded uh, by one individual, although he's named in the press, I'm not going to name him. Mm -hmm. Um, There's actually three intruders and he chased them away and he very seriously injured one person with a cricket bat. I think there was a skull fracture. Did he act reasonably? Well, if he's been convicted, then obviously a jury of, of 12 of his peers found that he hadn't acted reasonably. Um, this has troubled the courts in England, I think, um, time and time again. Um, there was a 2016 High Court ruling, um, which has now effectively become the test case of uh, Denby Collins. His father brought the claim after he was left in a coma, Um, after being um, confronted by a homeowner who put him into a headlock. Um, The judges decided against Mr Collins and found that actually um, it it didn't breach Article 2 of the European Convention of Human Rights in terms of the respect for right for life because, you know, they they felt that homeowners did have this right to defend themselves. However, they were very keen to stress that it doesn't give homeowners a carte blanche to do whatever they want to. You know, um, if you did something that was grossly disproportionate as opposed to just disproportionate, then you would be charged with something like murder or assault. And clearly that's what's happened in Mr Hussein's case. Um, the CPS felt that there was a case to answer, that it had been um, a disproportionate use of force, uh, and he was therefore convicted on that basis. Excellent. Um, I, sorry, I think we... Ha- Liam, I'll co- I will come back to you. I think we've got a caller on, on the line, Imran. Asalaamu Alaikum, Imran. Um, happy to feel your question. What do you want to ask us? Hello. Hello. Hello there. If I am attacked by my missus and I punch her, she die. Is that defence? Sorry, do you want to say that again? It was quite difficult to hear you. If you're attacked by my missus and I punch her and she die, well, is that defence or is that murder? Well, in in those circumstances, I mean, if, if you're acting in self-defence, that does give rise to a defence in law. Um, but as we've pointed out, I mean, you would have to be acting with reasonable force for that. So, um, I mean, it's very, very likely in those circumstances that you would be put on trial and therefore it would then be a dis- it would be up but, to but, you. Why is she can't hit me, can she? Well, she can't hit you, but your response has to be... I mean, she would have assaulted you in those circumstances, of course. What... what um, that the law really says you should do is that you should call the police or you should remove yourself um, from being attacked. Um, if if you were then acting because you're in fear of your life uh, and you acted in self-defence on that basis, then it would effectively be up to the police and then a jury to decide whether or not you were acting reasonably in the circumstances. OK, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Thanks. Um, Liam, I think you were going to... I was, I was just going to mention in relation to the Hussein case, it's kind of uh, a point in principle about the misleading nature of, of the press, perhaps, because um, very tragic what happened to, to both of the Hussein brothers, uh, and very tragic that, that they spent a day in prison, many would feel from a common sense perspective. Absolutely. Yeah. But, but actually, the Hussein case is they had both denied 
being involved in beating these men at all. So what was before the jury wasn't a question of whether the force used was proportionate at all. These two men said that whoever attacked uh, this individual on the floor, who, who we don't name for sensible reasons, it wasn't them. Yeah. So the jury never considered in that case what is reasonable, what is proportionate. Open question, what would a jury have concluded in those circumstances? I, as an individual rather than a lawyer, feel that a jury may well have felt very sympathetically. They may have had a defence, but that's not the defence they ran. No. Uh, listeners, I, I do want you to do something. Have a look at that case. Um, it's freely available to read on the internet. Um, I think you'll find some very, very good salient points in there, and it will get you thinking. Um, we've got some callers coming in. Remember, everyone else, you can call on 01582481822, and I'm going to take a call from Mohammed now. Assalamu alaikum, Mohammed. Assalam. Uh, go ahead, you're, you're live on air. What would you like to ask? Okay, yeah, my question is, is it now surely um, a case whereby the law needs to be changed so that you can use um, whatever force is necessary if someone breaks into your house? Because there's still a lot of confusion because if someone wants to break into your house, um, I think, <clears throat> you know, someone shouldn't really question whether Shall I pick up a knife? Shall I pick up a, um, a frying pan? What shall I use in the circumstances? I think the law potentially needs to be changed so that you can use whatever force is necessary in the situation. Um, so my question is really to the panel whether the law needs to be changed now so that uh, you can use whatever force is necessary in the situation. Well, that's an excellent question, Mohammed. Uh, I'll ask... For Kiara's opinions in relation to that, should we be able to use whatever force is necessary rather than, I suppose, what Mohammed's getting to is having a, a, a limit to what we can do if someone enters our property? Well, I mean, I think really the law's already at that position. Um, as, I've, as I've already said, I mean, they're, they're not asking you to make a, a, a considered judgment, really. You are entitled to use what force is, um, you think is necessary to, to effectively end the threat against you. Um, what you wouldn't be allowed to do, for example, is stab a burglar if they were already unconscious. So, you know, that, that's kind of when you start getting into the territory of it, it being entirely illegal. But in terms of someone coming into your house, you are allowed to arm yourself. If someone has come into your house and you believe that they're a threat to your life or to those others who occupy the house with you, um, then at the moment the law does protect you from, exam- for example, picking up something, picking up a, um, an item or in- implement in your bedroom and using that to defend yourself. So I think that homeowners are very much covered by the law at the moment. There's a very sympathetic view um, towards homeowners that use force to um, defend their properties. Um, but equally, you know, it doesn't mean that you can just... Um, th- you shouldn't be allowed to affect vigilante... Uh, retribution. So just because someone's burgled your home and is currently in the process of running out of your front door, um, you shouldn't be allowed to chase them down the road and beat them around the head just because you're angry that they've burgled you. Um, You really have to be under the immediate threat of violence to yourself or indeed to somebody else. Liam? Yeah, I think it's important to to understand when we're talking about self-defence, we're talking about what lawyers call a complete defence and that's a complete defence all the way up to murder. So The way that operates in a courtroom, if you're accused, or indeed when you're having your case assessed for charge at the police station by the police, is that the way that self-defence works is once you raise it, 
as long as there is a prima facie case for it, which just means on the face of it in, in Latin, for, for everyday people, once you raise it, it's actually for the Crown to, to make the jury sure that it's not a defence. And so as long as your conduct is reasonable and the force used is held not to be grossly disproportionate, you have a defence. Uh, so there is, in, in broad terms, a lot of latitude for, for homeowners. I think it's perhaps that homeowners feel, perhaps because of what they see in the press, that they're not given that latitude. But, of course, the everyday member of the public is entitled to protect his home and his family. Liam, we've mentioned this word or this phrase, reasonable force, quite a few times. Tell us what reasonable force is. Well, I mean, again, this is, this is a question for a jury in a particular case. So take, for example... Somebody comes into my home at night, like happened in the case of, of Mr. Hussein. They come in. He's a hard-working man. It's the third day of Ramadan. They wait for him to come home. As he arrives home, they come into his house. They put his family on the floor. No, carry on, sir. He is then attacked. Now, say he's attacked with a knife and there's a scuffle and he picks up a bat and he defends himself and he hits that person around the head and that person dies. Well... Most likely, I would suggest that a, a jury would say that is reasonable force in the circumstances. If, if that person runs, they go down the street and they're long gone, he catches them five minutes later and then beats the person on the ground, that's not going to be reasonable self-defence. That mm. becomes revenge. So essentially what you're saying is you need to think about what you want to do. If you feel under threat, that's fine. Don't go chasing people down the road and beating them up because that's retribution, isn't it? I think that's, that, that's the, the core of it. Okay. Um, we are going to carry on this debate and there's a lot more to discuss. We're going to take a quick break now, listeners. Um, and after the break, we will carry on with what you can do if you're attacked. You're listening to an Inspire FM podcast, making available our popular programs from our daily broadcast on Inspire FM. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Listeners, uh, you're back into uh, Inspire FM and you're listening to the remainder of Ati. Atik Malik's Ask Your Lawyer show. Um, I'm Giazuddin, your guest presenter today, and today uh, we're speaking about the rights of a homeowner when confronted at home by burglars and intruders. I've got with me um, Barristers Kiara Maddox and Liam Lachlan, and we were just introducing the concept of uh, grossly disproportionate. Um, Liam, I'm going to ask, field this question to you again. Grossly disproportionate, what does that mean? Um... Well, at the moment, we are not that sure because it's not been tested in the courts. What we do know is that the test used to be whether in the circumstances what was reasonable um, was the defence proportionate or or not. And if it wasn't proportionate, then we would say not self-defence. But in 2012 and 2013, the law was changed slightly um, they need to bore you with the details. But the test for householders specifically then came in as to what is grossly disproportionate. So the test then became that little bit higher. It's not just was it disproportionate, but was it grossly disproportionate? And that must mean, is it so far beyond the range of reasonable responses that a member of the jury is going to sit back or the CPS charging is going to say, well, that that is too far. Uh, and that's what we're looking at. And it's interesting that when we look in those legislative changes happening in 2012, 2013, the law is specifically clarifying when looking at that, saying that there is no duty on the householder to retreat. 
So if somebody comes into your home, you are not obliged to retreat. You don't have to lock yourself in the bedroom if somebody's downstairs with knives. If your family are there, there's no duty to retreat. As long as what you're doing is not grossly, and by that we mean extremely disproportionate, it may well be reasonable. So it it must be viewed without analysis in the case law that it's extending our right to defend ourselves that little bit further in our own homes. Brilliant. Uh, listeners, I just want to remind you that we've got an expert panel here. I do want you to field questions to them. Uh, the telephone number is 01582 481 822. Uh, you can WhatsApp us on 07779 481 822 as well. Obviously, we're uh, eager to hear you by uh, contact you contact us by email as well. Kiara, um, do you have to wait to be attacked? No, there is absolutely no rule in law which says that you have to wait to be struck before you can act in self-defence. So, you know, if someone's there armed with a weapon, even if they're not, you know, even if you you come out of your bedroom because you've heard a noise downstairs and there's a person running up your stairs, um, you don't have to wait for that person to hit you before you can act in lawful self-defence. So preemptive strikes, yeah. feeling that you're under attack and that you're about to be hit is sufficient um, to, to effectively run a case of self-defence. Um, Again, it's a fact-specific. I mean, Liam and I have have, have mentioned this before the break. Um, If it it is an instance that goes to trial, it will then be up for a jury to decide whether or not you've been reasonable in your use of of self-defence, use of force. Um, So you don't have to wait wait to be hit. Of course, if you are hit and you then act in self-defence, your case is going to be stronger when you get to trial. But as long as you are acting because you felt that you were in fear or danger, um, that would be sufficient to successfully defend yourself at trial. So just so we're sure, explain to us this concept of preemptive strike. What does that mean? So a preemptive strike is if you feel that you are under attack and that you are about to be attacked, yeah. you can act in self-defence to stop that from t- happening, stop that from taking place. And, and it's not only self-defence, it's also acting in defence of others. So for example, if you feel that um, one of your family members or one of your housemates was in imminent danger of attack, um, you can act in self-defence. You are lawfully entitled to um, use force to stop them. From is that, is that in you. a general context and uh, context and not? Particularly- yeah, I mean that's that's just the law in self-defence. Okay. Um, so even if you you know if you're attacked on the street, if there's a situation outside, and someone and you believe that someone is about to um, cause you unlawful violence, although there's a threat of unlawful violence, you can act physically to stop yourself. Uh, to stop yourself from being attacked by someone. Okay. Uh, Liam, Kiara's mentioned the words, and I'll I'll ask you to explain them. Self-defence, everyone thinks it's martial arts or something like that. Tell us in a legal context what self-defence is. Well, self-defence includes defending yourself, uh, and it includes defending others. Okay. So it's not just a question of uh, defending yourself. Um, if somebody comes into your home, your family are there, you're not expected just to run out of the house and abandon your family and let your children fend for themselves. You can defend others. Again, they have to be people who, who are under threat. Um, but as long as they're under threat and you can protect them and it's reasonable proportionate, the law will let you do that. Okay. Um, I want to move on to a slightly different uh, arena here in relation to uh, criminal offences. And it does tie it back into what we were discussing in relation to burglaries. Um, Lawful arrests and citizen's arrests, what are they? Well, a a citizen arrest is um, effectively where a member of the public um, affects an an arrest on another 
person okay um and, and so this would be um people who are listening to this radio show but it also includes um community policing officers um who actually have exactly the same rights of arrest as the everyday person walking down the street now you have to be particularly careful um if you feel there are circumstances in which you would like uh, or believe that it is necessary um, to arrest somebody. Um, it's basically governed by the Police and Criminal Evidence Act. And, and again, that law was changed um, about 12 years ago. So, I mean, this is an area of law that, um, although quite established now, um, has been quite recent in terms of, you know, um, uh, legislative changes. Um, but you can only arrest now for indictable offences. So those are offences which um, would attract sentences of six months or more. So mm. you have to be careful as members of the public. For example, someone standing swearing at you um, and, and causing nuisance under the Public Order Act, that would not be an offence for which you can um, affect a citizen's arrest. Having said that, theft, for example, if you see someone stealing something from the shop, um, as security guards might do who are employed in a civilian capacity, or indeed if you've seen someone um, causing quite significant violence to somebody or quite significant damage to somebody and um, those are circumstances in which you can um, make a citizen's arrest but there have to be uh, effect this is a two-stage test uh, firstly that there are reasonable grounds to believe that arrest is necessary for a reason specified so i.e to prevent an offense from continuing to occur okay. or to occur at all um, and also that it's not reasonably practicable for a constable or a police officer to make that arrest. So, you know, if you stood right next to a policeman, it's not your job to make that arrest. <laughs> okay. Um, but there, if there isn't a police officer, you can step in, presumably, and do your thing. Yes. Um, again, I mean, the, 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 the danger is that any civilian arrest could ultimately um, result in that person being prosecuted for an assault or false imprisonment themselves. So it really is something that... Um, listeners have to be very very careful of doing i would also always unless you um unless there really are um no better alternatives um it is always something that would be better in my opinion mm. left to a police officer if there is an option of calling the police i would always recommend that to your listeners but if it is in circumstances where they genuinely feel that they need to act immediately in order to prevent a serious crime from happening um, then, again, all actions should be reasonable and proportionate. So this isn't a case where someone is perhaps racially um, abusing somebody. If you were to then go and um, use a cricket bat to, to try and uh, arrest them, or if, indeed if you were to cause them serious injury whilst affecting that arrest, um, that would really be um, a position where you might find yourself in quite a lot of trouble. Right, okay. Um, Liam, turning back to you in relation to these types of matters, have you got anything to add in, in relation to the citizen's arrest um, subject? Yeah, I think it has to be. I mean, the important thing here is, is there a crime going on? Is somebody being hurt, either the person committing the crime or, or somebody else? Is there a damage to property? But more importantly, is it not possible for a constable to, to deal with this matter. So if your neighbour comes across and starts abusing you mm. or, or hits you and he cuts your eyebrow, um, you can't jump over the fence and arrest him because you know where he is. He's not going anywhere. You know his name. It's only in a situation where that person might be, for example, making off. Maybe they've committed an offence 
which is an indictable offence, so that can go to the Crown Court, which is one of the criteria, because if it's a magistrate's court only matter, there is no power of citizen's arrest. So if somebody comes up to you in the street, spits on your trousers or in your face, arguably very unpleasant, not a, a Crown Court matter, that would be a common assault or a battery. In that case, there is no right for a citizen's arrest. But if it's a kind of situation where you are assaulted or you see something ongoing, that person is effectively going to make good their escape, then that's really where a citizen's arrest would normally be something you would deploy. Any other situation, uh, you would just walk away unless somebody was being hurt or property was being damaged. You say you can do it in property being damaged. Um, is, that, is that something that we, you can... Again, how much force can you use in that in those types of circumstances, considering it's property and not somebody actually getting hurt? What can you do in those circumstances? Well, again, I mean, it's, it's a question of what, what they're damaging and what the harm is. So, for example, same way you perhaps can't arrest somebody uh, if they've just spat on your trouser leg, but you can if they've stabbed you in the leg. Yeah. Um, if it's damage over £5,000, it's an indictable matter as criminal damage. If it's under that, it's a magistrate's court matter. So if it's somebody breaking a Mercedes sign off of your car and making off, uh, you can't arrest him. If, however, he's in the process of setting fire to your Mercedes, uh, you probably can. It's a very difficult concept, though, for, for, for the ordinary person um, without any legal knowledge, because, Chiara, uh, I'll put this to you. Would you agree that it's, it would be difficult um, off the cuff to make an assumption is this a summary offence is it going to be an indictable offence what should I do here what should I do there um, do you agree that that can be quite confusing? Well, yes. And, I, you know, we were talking earlier about how maybe the homeowner's defence hasn't been properly tested. I can assure you this area of law is in the courts all the time. Um, you know, you're representing people on a fairly regular basis who um, believe that they have acted within the parameters of the law who have carried out a citizen's, a citizen's arrest, but in the CPS's mind, in the police's mind, they have not acted reasonably, and they then find themselves in court on an assault charge. So it is a very um, grey area of law. I think it has to be, because, of course, not everyone can have carte blanche to just behave and do yeah. exactly as they want to. And obviously, um, your personal liberty is incredibly important, you know, for, for someone to be able to take that away from you. Yeah. Um, it does have to be fairly heavily regulated, but um, I do find it incredibly difficult and I am incredibly sympathetic to people who believe that they were acting within the parameters of what was allowed under law, um, believe that they were doing a public duty mm -hmm. um, and then find themselves prosecuted for assault or, as I've already indicated, false imprisonment. Um, you know, taxi drivers perhaps who lock their fares in the car because they're not paying... But, you know, paying for the bill. I mean, that, that those kind of circumstances could give rise to, depending on the circumstances, quite serious criminal uh, charges for that for that driver. I mean, it's interesting that you touch on that point. Um, we have a very large taxi community in Luton, mm -hmm. and let me let me ask you something in relation to that locking the doors. Um, and this goes back to your un unlawful detention uh, comment. Somebody doesn't pay any locks his doors. Yes. A taxi driver, advisable or not? Well, I, I, I mean, I wouldn't advise it. I know that the, the practicalities, of course, are that people lose a lot of money, mm. um, you know, especially someone on a, f a Friday or Saturday night and you're driving and it's late at night. Yeah, they're making um, an honest living and, yeah. and somebody's trying to swindle them. And you're put in a very vulnerable position. Um, there has been a case where a taxi driver was actually charged with false imprisonment. Um, but in those circumstances, um, the taxi driver had actually taken the, the fare for quite a significant detour. Oh. And it was felt that actually in those circumstances it was entirely disproportionate 
Um, and he was, yeah, as I said, he was charged and it went to trial. Presumably that was because there was some wrongdoing on his part, though. Well, because they... The, the fact is, he hadn't driven someone straight to the police station. Okay. So, you know, after a certain point, it became um, a punishment, effectively, that this person was meeting out. Right. It wasn't what the the police would have termed um, a citizen's arrest at all. Um, so people do have to be very, very careful. Um, and I, I would always urge caution when taking this course of action. There really has to be no other opportunity, no, no other possible outcome. Um, but, you know, it does... It, it, it does perhaps come across as incredibly unfair and as I said I do have a huge amount of sympathy for people that find themselves in in the courts because they genuinely felt that they were doing something for the public good. Liam, uh, Tiara touched upon it, unlawful detention. Uh, Somebody enters your house and you lock the doors, they're not doing anything to you, is that allowed? You lock the doors and you trap them in? Oh I think if if they're in your home um, and you're preventing them from escaping um, if they're in your home, they're, they're committing an indictable offence. Mm-hmm. So undoubtedly, if they've broken in um, and you catch them, that's a burglary, that's indictable. Uh, if they come in with weapons, uh, that's an aggravated burglary, is an indictable. I think the, the point that you raised in relation to taxi drivers actually illustrates your point quite well about why this is um, a difficult area. If you're not a lawyer, what's indictable uh, and what isn't? And by that, we mean... What kind of case can come to a Crown Court? What kind of case will get a sentence of six months or more? So for your listeners, the better question to address is how do they avoid themselves coming to court? Mm -hmm. So the person who gets into their car, if they do not pay their fare, what offence are they committing? They're not committing a theft because they haven't handed any money over and then taken that money back. Arguably, they're committing a fraud. They've obtained services by deception the deception being that they would pay for those services. That would arguably be a magistrate's court only matter on the guidelines. So does that entitle the taxi driver to, to, to detain a person? Probably not. What should the taxi driver do in order to make sure this doesn't happen? And the simple answer, the easiest answer for a lawyer to give, is get the fare up front. Mm-hmm. If there's no fare, if there's a doubt, if it's a Friday night, don't take the risk because mm-hmm. the taxi driver is no better than anybody. Any blemish on their record could be the end of their career. So I think, you know, the real take-home is there's lots of legal questions, lots of nuances here. That The better thing always to do is to take the precaution to get the fare before. If you're at home, get a burglar alarm. You know, yeah. most criminal lawyers have burglar alarms because they know what pops off a burglar. It's a good alarm. People don't even try to get into a house. What invites a burglar into a home? It's an open window at night. Yeah. That, yeah. That's the kind of thing listeners should be aware of. I mean, that's excellent advice, Liam. Um, <clears throat> As I said, listeners, I've got Liam Lachlan from Church Court Chambers. I've got Kiara Maddox uh, from Church Court Chambers, both very experienced, excellent barristers. They're waiting for your questions. The telephone number to call is 01582 481 uh, The same number for um, WhatsApp, sorry, it's a different number for WhatsApp, 0779-481-822. Please do call in. Please do, please do send WhatsApp messages. We want to field your uh, questions. Uh, and... In line with that, we've got uh, Mr. Malik, who's texted in, um, slightly out of context this is, and he's asking, what is manslaughter? Um, does anybody want to answer that? I will go back to our subject matter. But we'll... Well, that, that is an interesting question. Um, there are different types of manslaughter. So, for example, your caller earlier on, who asked what would happen if he um, 
punched his his wife if she attacked him and she yeah. died. Right. Well, arguably, that's what we call um, one punch manslaughter. Mm-hmm. Um, there are different types of manslaughter. What will happen quite often is that in in a criminal case, the question is um, not somebody whether somebody has died. It's a question of how did they die mm-hmm. and. Um, what is the person's involvement in them dying? If somebody's intended to cause really serious harm, ordinarily, um, if somebody then dies, that will be a murder. Mm-hmm. If we look at going back to the case of Tony Martin, yeah. we looked at earlier on, uh, the case of Tony Martin is a good point of the distinction because uh, that is a case where Mr. Martin was convicted of murder, but the uh, Court of Appeal, looking at his conviction, said... Uh, this state of affairs that pertained to his paranoid personality disorder did did not provide him with a defence of self-defence because it can't be the case that a paranoid belief mm. will allow actions to be reasonable because being insane or, or having some sort of de- defect of reason cannot be reasonable. But it did allow the court to say, well, actually, at the time, he has this paranoid personality disorder that was affecting his mind that affected the level of threat that he perceived and how he acted so it operated there to take what would have been a murder down to a manslaughter and then we have different types of manslaughter we have um we have corporate manslaughter Mm -hmm. where we have uh, an organization or a company for example um there was a case in northern ireland at a slurry farm somebody working in a slurry trunk, fell in, somebody died. Corporate manslaughter is when a corporate entity is found guilty of manslaughter. But it's not an individual. It doesn't have intent. Somebody has died. So the question of what is a, what is a, a murder, what is a manslaughter, is a difficult question. The, the, the real question is, what what's a murder? And normally when somebody dies, if it's not a murder, it falls into a manslaughter. It's the, un, it's the loss of life. Brilliant. I am going to go back to our subject matter that we were originally talking about, and that's the household invasions. Oh, sorry, Kiara, were you well, going to add something? It was just touching on um, diminished responsibility, really, because um, we know with Tony Martin that was a defence, and we're talking about um, your mind being altered to such a, a state that um, you can't form the necessary intent. Right. Um, but just, just in terms of... Um, being intoxicated, because that, that touches on the homeowner defence. I think um, it, it would be... Um, a very odd legal decision um, that um, if you are intoxicated and you then act from what you believe is reasonably, mm. um, that that would effectively be deemed as um, a proper defence in law. So if you form a mistaken belief about the danger you're facing whilst intoxicated, um, it's pretty unlikely that you will be entitled to run a reasonable force defence. So that's something to bear in mind. If you've had a, a big heavy night of drinking... Um, that might impact on whether or not people would think. Is, is it just limited are. to drinking? What about medication based? Well, it's it's involuntary intoxication, isn't it? Um, so, I mean, if if you're on medication, mm. um, then there is case law which says that that um, would be something that might be taken into account. But again, it would be a fact specific situation. If you have voluntarily gone out and intoxicated yourself, yeah. then you know whether you can make. Um, the, the judgment call, effectively, to decide what's reasonable, that, that might be in doubt. Okay, brilliant. Um, 
I'm going to briefly touch on householder cases. Uh, we've been talking about this in general context, haven't we, Liam? The householder cases, that seems to be the banner that is put above all of this stuff. So household cases, what are they, householder cases? Well, I mean, this is this is another question. What is a householder case? Because there is a question when the law was changed in 2012, 2013, mm-hmm. that there is an open question, the addition of um, subsection 8, of whether if there is a con- commercial premises attached to a dwelling, mm-hmm. whether that becomes a householder case. So it may be for some of your listeners, they have their own small business um, and they may have a shop or they may have a garage and it may be operating downstairs. They may be living upstairs. And then there's a question about when does the law apply to the householder in that scenario? And that's an open question because um, it may be if there's a disturbance in the shop and they go down to the shop, but it's Mm -hmm. separate and it's locked and it's separated from their home. That's not a householder case if they then go in. And that means they don't get that extra protection of the grossly disproportionate. However, if that person then crosses from the shop and the shop is attached then to their dwelling and they could be upstairs, that becomes a householder case and it, it has that wider discretion. So I think what that's telling us about the law is that householder cases, whichever way you look about it, is what happens in your home. Not necessarily in your shop, not in your taxi, what happens in your home, be it people coming into your home from your business or people coming into your home through the door or window. We're talking about anybody coming into your house. For whatever reason, you can defend yourself. Okay. I posed, uh, well, I spoke about on my own Facebook page um, about the show that we we were going to have today. And and I asked friends, family and people who associated with me whether they wanted to ask you any questions. And I've I was texted a few, so I am going to put these to you, mm-hmm. um, Liam and Kiara. I'll start with Kiara. Uh, somebody's asked, am I allowed to kill a burglar? Well, um, I, I wouldn't recommend it. Um, <laughs> but the the reality of it is that, yes, you can, you can um, under certain circumstances. And I think that that's effectively what some of the case law shows. Um, I mean, you would definitely be arrested if if the person that has come into your home ends up dying and you will definitely be interviewed and it's very likely you will have to seek immediate legal advice um but again the police and the courts would be would have to be satisfied that when the burglar died you're engaging in what the law regards as legitimate self-defense which is of course what we've been talking about today um as as Liam said, that since the law changed in 2012, 2013, we haven't seen that many test cases actually go through the court in this. And that's because for public policy reasons, uh, CPS prosecutors are taking a view before it even gets to court in certain circumstances. Um, there was a, a 2011 case um, where a man was arrested for on suspicion of murder after four masked men broke into his home and one of them ended up dying from a stab wound in the chest. Um, he was put on police bail, but um, the chief crown prosecutor, uh, Mr Afsal, uh, in the northwest, ruled that he had acted in self-defence and would be facing no further action. Um, and, you know, in his decision, Mr Afsal said that Mr Flanagan had been confronted by a group of intruders and one of them had been armed by a machete and that people are entitled to use reasonable force uh, in self-defence to defend themselves, their family and their property. So um, the reality of it is... Um, the CPS are alive to the fact that when you're acting in self-defence of your home, these things can happen. But it, are you acting reasonably? Brilliant. I am 
conscious of the fact that we're running out of time, I just want to say, Liam Lachlan, Kiara Maddox, you've been absolutely brilliant. I'm sure our listeners have taken a lot out of this. Uh, listeners, just a message to you. It's been a pleasure presenting. I just wanted to flag up the fact, again, that you can instruct Liam Lachlan and Kiara Maddox, and you've heard their expertise in these types of matters, as well as other things. All you need to do is go to the church court website. If you've got your solicitors, all you need to say to them is, I want to instruct Kiara or Liam. Go and have a look at their profiles. It's been an absolute pleasure, pleasure presented today. Asalaamu Alaikum. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Why not tune in to our live stream at inspirefm.org and follow and subscribe to our social media platforms at inspirefmluton.org.